Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to an off-season edition of Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Greg Johnson. We're coming to you the day after the MLS Cup final, um, in which three guys with New England ties won an MLS Cup as the Atlanta United FC came, aw- came away with 2 nothing winners over the Portland Timbers. Atlanta was captained by Michael Parkhurst, who the former Revolution player from Rhode Island. Uh, Jeff Lerontowitz was also playing part of their defense, another former Revolution player who went to Brown University. Brown University, and then Julian Gressel, the German center midfielder, hails from Providence College. So no shortage of New England ties on that roster um, as the team came away with a really you know, dominant 2 nothing one, I thought, over the Portland Timbers. Not the most exciting game I have ever seen as an MLS Cup final, but um, I think it was quite clear from what we saw both in the atmosphere of the stadium uh, and on those teams that there's a, a ways to go for uh, a certain team in New England to catch up to those teams and, and be in a position like that next year. What, what, what do you think, Greg? How far away are the revolution from from these two teams? Yeah, if we're calling Atlanta United MLS 3.0, uh, I think the revolution are still kind of at MLS 1.25 to MLS 1.4. Um, I, I think they're making kind of slow progress, but the problem is that the league is expanding and is developing faster than the revolution as a club uh, are developing. So, uh, I mean, I, I think you could make the case that, you know, two or three years ago, the revolution were already behind some of these expansion teams. Uh, and it just seems like over time they're falling further and further behind. So um, hopefully we get a scene like we saw in Atlanta in New England sometime in the future. But I think they are. Very, very far away from it. I think it starts with a soccer stadium, uh, which we might get into later. Maybe not. (laughs) Uh, I I know there's kind of some quasi-news on that front. But, but, uh, I mean, it kind of starts with that. It kind of starts with a better location. It starts with a winning product. Um, And right now, I don't think the Revolution have any of those things going for them. And it's kind of just running in place. So there's still a lot of progress to be done to even um, get remotely on that level. Or as I say, on the MLS 2.0 level. Is it uh, too soon to look over to the the sidelines of the Timbers and see Giovanni Savarese, a former Revolution player who the Revolution allegedly were considering um, as one of the options along with Brad Friedel uh, this year and and say the Revolution maybe didn't make the the right coaching choice uh, in the offseason? So I I think a lot of people have jumped to that conclusion. I actually am not as firm on that point. I I still want to give Brad Friedel a little bit more time. I think the Portland Timbers roster – uh, you know, from the start was was better than the Revolution roster. So I, I think he inherited a better situation than he would have inherited in New England. Um, and you got to remember, too, Portland was the five seed in the West. Um, so ultimately, you know, this this wasn't like a team that was the one seed all year and they kind of dominated and he, he vastly improved this roster. Um, you know, I, I think if Severisi came into New England, um, I, I don't think they have much better results than what we saw from Brad Friedel this year. So I get why a lot of people are kind of jumping to that take that we could have had him uh, coaching in Foxborough, um, but I, I, I'm not totally buying into that. Now, if uh, the Revolution have another bad season next year and if the Portland Timbers just improve over time, if they get an MLS Cup, if they won yesterday, I, I think I'd feel a little bit differently because, you know, he goes into Atlanta, into that hostile environment uh, and and pulls off the upset and, and raises a trophy. I, I think I'd feel a lot differently about it, but um, I, I'm not willing to say that uh, I, I don't know how, how much of a better job he could have done than Brad Friedel last season. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think there's any question that the Timbers had a significantly better roster than the Revolution. Um, and, you know, I don't know if there's too much hope that, that that's going to change next year either. Um, but on the note of some you know former Revolution players that got MLS Cup victories in this one and you know, former New England ties guys, um, some of that on the Revolution that obviously is a, a longtime player here with, with New England ties, Chris Tierney. Um, we haven't been on the air since since he retired. Uh, so let's jump into to him quickly and and your thoughts on, on where he kind of sits in the, the New England Revolution legacy and what, what his long-term legacy as a Rev is going to be. Well, uh, I I think he's going – if there's a Revolution Hall of Fame, I think he's a first ballot Revolution Hall of Fame player. Um, you look at where he ranks uh, in games played, 246 games played, 220 starts, 13 goals, 40 assists, over 19,000 minutes played. Uh, he's fourth in team history in games played, games started, go- uh, uh, assists, and uh, minutes played, not goals, sorry. Uh, so, I mean, 
just from a standpoint of what he accomplished in his career, I, I think you have to tip your cap to him and say he he's up there among one of the greatest uh, revolution players ever. I know that there are some people that say, you know, in terms of talent, is he as good as a Twelman or a Ralston or a Shari Joseph? No, I, I don't think so. But I, I think you have to look at um, his 11 seasons here. And, you know, he was an all-star in 2015. Uh, he won Defender of the Year for the Revolution in 2016. Uh, and he was a guy that came in a decade ago um, really with not a whole lot of expectations. And even as the league progressed and became more and more talented, Chris Tierney kept finding a way to uh, get onto the field. Uh, and to contribute to this team in meaningful ways. Even last season, when we expected him to uh, relegate to a bench role, he he found a way to get that starting left-back job uh, back in his hands until he suffered a a season-ending injury, and he would have finished the season uh, as the the starting left-back for the Revolution. So uh, he he was a contributor for a very, very long time, and and I think, as I say, if there's a ring of honor for uh, the Revolution, I think Chris Tierney has to be a part of it. Yeah, for me, it's it's tough to say exactly where Chris Tierney falls in, in the revolution history because you look at him and all the stats that you named and his longevity here and it's obviously a fantastic story a guy that grew up in Wellesley and um, played his entire career for the New England Revolution um, but I do think there's you know legitimate questions of you know where he ranks in the talent scale um, it's a fantastic story that he managed to stay as long as he did at the left back role for the revolution he stepped up there and you know came to the team as a midfielder um, and converted to that spot and, and, and played very well um, and offensively, I think he's one of the, you know, the, was one of the better left backs in the league with a you know, fantastic crossing ability. But, you know, to me, there was always the question of his defensive ability, which I don't think was ever um, above average for an MLS left back. Uh, so I, I, it's hard for me to completely ignore that when you're putting him in the, the same ranks as guys like Sharu Joseph, Steve Rawlson, Taylor Twelman, um, and some of those guys that, you know, really were some of the top players in MLS at the time. Um, Tierney, obviously, obviously a good player, but I, never quite a superstar status or even a star status, I would say, um, for the Revolution. So I think he does belong somewhere in a future Revolution Hall of Fame, but I'm not sure he belongs you know, in the same sentence as a, as a Twelman, a, a Joseph, or Ralston. Um, and then, you know, even when you're talking about left backs on the Revolution, you know, there's a guy, Joe Franchino, that captain this team to, to several MLS Cups. Um, and was a very long-term player on the team as well, not quite as long as Chris Tierney, but um, I think there's certainly a case to be made that as a left-back, he had a greater impact on this team. Um, and, you know, even a guy like Ted Kronopoulos, I think there's a case to be made as another left-back that um, arguably was more talented than Chris Tierney on the rev. So while I do think he's earned a place from all those stats you said, and, um, and, and it helps that he was a New England guy, uh, it's worth noting that there were other left-backs in this team that had big contributions too. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, they brought in a guy, Gabriel Somi, to try to beat him out this year. That didn't work out, so that was was great for, for Tierney, but there were a few times over the years where the Revolution tried to sign other left backs to compete with Tierney, and you know, good for Tierney for beating them out, but part of that too was the, the front office's inability to find somebody better, um, and of course, you know, you can talk about Seth Sinovic, who they waived and went on to be the starting left back for Sporting Kansas City, um, you know, if he had stayed in this team, I think Tierney might not have had the same, you know, ter- the same long-time stats that he ended up with. Uh, as a member of the revolution. So that's where I kind of struggle a bit on where exactly he he falls in there. Um, Fantastic career, but, you know, was he the best left back even in revolution history? I'm not so sure. Yeah, and it's another interesting discussion that was on Twitter is, you know, what does it mean to be a club legend? Um, Because some people didn't put Tierney in that that level. They they don't, they, you know, they think he's a, a average to above average player over a long period of time. And I, I you know, I, I, I think everyone kind of agrees that, yeah, he was never a superstar in the MLS. You know, as I say, made one MLS all-star team in his 11 year career. I mean, certainly that is not a, uh, you, you know, he, he wasn't getting any uh, U S men's national team call-ups. Like I, I understand that. Um, but I, I kind of, I, I thought about it comparing him to players from, other teams in New England, and, I, and the best comparison I kind of thought of was like a Troy Brown, where Troy Brown was not the you know the best receiver Tom Brady ever threw the ball to, but you know for so many years he was you know uh, just a great teammate, did what you asked of him, uh, really found a way to make impact on the game, uh, and and you know I think Chris Tierney is kind of had that bit of an impact where even though he was not you know scoring a ton of goals or uh, you know the superstar of the team or really one of the most top three or top five valuable players on the team at any point, uh, he was still really reliable and he, he still contributed to this team uh, from beginning to end. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, and as I say, I, I think I also look at the longevity of his career and I think, you know, not just 10 years or 11, 11 seasons. Um, I, I, I also think about where the MLS was 
10, 11 seasons ago and where it is now and how Chris Tierney always seemed to keep up a little bit um, with the league that evolved. So I, I think with that in mind, I, I would call him a club legend, but does he deserve to be in the same breath as Twelman and Ralston, the names we've mentioned? Out? No, I don't think so. I, I think there's a, a second tier of players in the, I'll say, Revolution Hall of Fame that does not exist. Uh, and I, I think Chris Tierney certainly deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but you're right. He, he's not a uh, uh, top player. I, I still consider him a legend, but uh, as I say, I think some people took offense that he's being uh, portrayed as this uh, – uh, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. Superstar. I, I don't think anyone's claiming he is, but you can still say he, he's had a great impact at the team. Well, here's my question for you. And I've saw a few people on Twitter talking about, you know, the theoretical you know, Revs Hall of Fame or Ring of Fire or whatever you want to call it, Ring of Honor. Um, and it, several of them had Chris Tierney on that list, but didn't have Jay Heaps on the list. And I say Jay Heaps because Jay Heaps is another fullback on the revolution that had Pretty much, I think, right around the same amount of starts as Chris Tierney or same appearances as Chris Tierney. Um, and was part of all those teams that went to MLS Cup. He was, he was either the coach or a player on every single Revolution team that's been in MLS Cup. You know, he was there for the Open Cup when he was on the, played in that game. Um, to me, he gets in there into any sort of ring of honor before Chris Tierney does. Uh, some people have said his coaching career kind of taints his legacy. I, I mean, I don't see it that way, even though there was a drop off towards the end of it. Um, but would you put Chris Tierney into you know a Hall of Fame or a Ring of Honor before Jay Heaps? Well, yeah, and, and I guess we have to have the discussion: is this like a uh, baseball Hall of Fame or a football Hall of Fame? Where you know, <laughs> in the MLB, you know, your Hall of Fame is very, very small classes. Are we are we electing two or three people at a time, or are we kind of doing it one big swoop? Uh, you know, if if I'm comparing Chris Tierney to Jay Heaps, I'd give that nod to Jay Heaps for for what you just said. And and not only do I disagree with the people that say you know Jay Heaps' coaching career has has a negative effect, I think it had a positive effect. He took the team to an MLS Cup. Um, he took him to a U.S. Open Cup final. I understand he did not win. I understand he kind of left a, a bitter taste in people's mouth. Uh, but ultimately, he he did a, have some accomplishments as a head coach. Uh, and so, you know, for for there to be a negative impact on his playing career, he would have had to have been a, a horrific coach, just a disastrous season after disastrous season. Um, and and he didn't. He had some really really strong years with the Revolution. The Revolution really looked like a team that was going to compete for MLS Cups for a few years during his tenure. So uh, I, I disagree with that overall. And I would give the nod to Jay Heaps over Chris Tierney. I, so I guess there's no real disagreement on that one. Then. <laughs> no, no. But with that being said, I mean, as I say, if, if there's no limit on how many people I could put in the Revs Hall of Fame, I'd put them both in. You know what I mean? But if you're telling me I'm limited to seven players, is Chris Tierney on that, that top seven? Uh, probably not. I can probably think of seven other names before Chris Tierney comes into serious consideration. Right. And for me, the the harder discussions are when you're talking about a guy like Chris Tierney versus a Clint Dempsey who wasn't here anywhere near as long, but obviously was a more talented player. Um, and that that's where more of a difficult conversation for me. I think a guy like Jay Heaps and Chris Tierney are, are very comparable based on you know longevity here, uh, appearances here. And, and with, with that in mind, I think it's easy uh, to pick Jay Heaps over Chris Tierney, but I agree that you know both of them have some sort of place in the theoretical <laughs> Revolution Hall of Fame. Um, on that note, did you want to jump to the, the, what you alluded to earlier, which is the the soccer stadium discussion? Um, just to, to to briefly touch on that, um, there was a a, a uh, city meeting to discuss whether or not this plot of land that's been discussed for the Revolution uh, on Frontage Road um, would go potentially to sale, um, and I believe. What would happen here is then Mar- Marty Walsh would have some sort of control over who it gets sold to, and there'd be a bidding process. So right now it's just deciding whether or not they even put it up for sale, not whether or not the revolution would get would get it. Um, but they did have a, a meeting, and lots of you know, public uh, advocacy groups came out there against the stadium for traffic reasons, for climate change reasons, for for all sorts of reasons. Um, that even though you know we're, we're Theoretically, not talking about a stadium going here yet. We're just talking about whether or not the sale, the land gets sold for something. Uh, there was no shortage of people who came out against it. Um, what do you make of this? You know, early news about potentially this one plot of land for a stadium, and you know, there being some uh, negative comments around it from from some of the people in the area. Well, it's not a surprise that the, the there's a lot of people that don't want it in their neighborhoods. Um, they, they, a lot of people who aren't soccer fans, I, I'd imagine don't want a soccer stadium in Boston. So I, I, I this is not a surprise on any level. Um, but in, in terms of kind of the whole process, I, I think it benefits the revs if this never goes up for sale. Um, I'm not sure how much the, the revolution have not 
tip their hand on how much they're paying attention to the site. Uh, this is really all pure speculation of, you know, a lot of people online noticing this would be a great location for a soccer stadium, uh, which it would be. Um, it, what was interesting was the, the councilwoman, I don't know her name off the top of my head, did mention Shao a few Wu, times that she well, – sorry? I think it was a Councilor Wu, I believe. Yes. So uh, if I she she had a couple comments about how she was open to a soccer stadium, um, and, and she also kind of wanted some green space and some wetlands on that site as well, which – I think really plays in the Rev's favor. I think when you have the uh, councilwoman who's kind of leading the uh, the uh, hearings, uh, kind of not endorsing a soccer stadium, but at least being open to it, uh, I, I think that's a big plus for the uh, revolution that it sounds like the city of Boston is open for it. Um, I, I think if it goes to sale, though, and if it's for public, you know, public bids, uh, I, I can't imagine – the, the revolution would be the highest bidder for that site. I mean, that, that would be a very, very valuable piece of land for a number of developers. Um, and, and I think that it would probably be another mixed use type of, or a, a, an apartment complex or, or something to that effect uh, with wetlands and open space. Uh, I, I, I just can't imagine that the revolution would uh, be, be the ones to outbid all those developers for such a valuable piece of land. But who knows? Who knows where it ends up going? Um, maybe the city does. I know Marty Walsh has in the past talked about uh, bringing the revolution to Boston. Um, I, I think there are some hints that it is positive news for the revolution. But overall, I'm not holding my breath and, and I, on, on this piece of land. I, I think it will go to public bid, and I don't think the revolution will come close to being the highest bidder for this land. Yeah, I think the biggest negative to come out of the meeting was that one of the counselors, uh, Michael Flaherty, basically flat out said he's against a soccer stadium for that spot. Um, but, you know, obviously you don't need everyone to support it for it to happen. You just needed, you know, enough for it to pass. Um, and, you know, I agree if it goes out to, to, to bid, which I think is actually what, you know, the, the revolution want to happen so they could have the, you know, the Boston Planning and Development Agency be the one that decides who gets it rather than the, the city council. Um, there's no guarantee the revolution end up being the highest bidder or, or the, the bid that gets chosen for that. But uh, like you said, Marty Walsh has been supportive of the idea of a revolution stadium in the city. He's made comments recently and in the past of that. Um, even, you know, I think as of last week, he commented that he'd be excited to have the revolution come to Boston. So that's something that's you know good news for the revolution and something that they'll want to capitalize on because he won't be you know in charge forever. Um, so it's a, it's a good window now for them to do something. I don't know if this land is going to be it. Um, and I don't know if this, you know, current step means anything, uh, necessarily going forward. Um, but certainly something to keep an eye on. Uh, I think, you know, both of us know we've, we've seen the revolution get, get here before with, with the areas and, and land being discussed and it go nowhere. So it's hard to get too exciting at this point, but, uh, something to keep a, an eye on without holding your breath, I would say. <laughs> And it did get to – with this news too, we got to uh, reignite all the Boston versus Providence debate that we see on Twitter that is uh, not redundant or uh, tiring at all. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, all, it's a lot of fun. Every like three to six months we get a stadium talk and it really goes nowhere and it's – I mean it's the same old story. Can we just you know put the the Providence idea to bed here? I mean, you look at the media markets in MLS and Cincinnati. I think is you know somewhere in the the early 30s, and they're going to be the I believe the smallest media market in MLS. Providence is in the 50s. Um, so you know, if you think Don Garber is going to be okay with the Revolution moving uh, even further away from Boston to you know what really is you know no offense to Providence but a minor league market. Um, I think you're crazy. So I don't know why that keeps coming up, but it seems like a, an insane idea to me. And I, you know, I get that um, maybe you think demographically Providence will lead to more soccer fans in the stadium, but it just from a professional sports perspective, it, it, it doesn't make sense. The Revolution need to be in Boston, and there's no reason to move out of Foxborough until they can make that happen. Am I wrong? <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to hot take here, but I don't. I'm not totally anti-Providence. I do think there is an argument that can be made that it is a soccer city. If you're going to have a – could Providence fill up a soccer stadium of 20,000 seats? I, I think they could. I genuinely do think they could. I don't know where you're putting a soccer stadium like that. Here's the other thing too, Sean, because uh, we're – yeah, they're moving it further away from Boston. But it, it's 20, 30 minutes away. I, I don't think it's a horrible location. But you, well, the, that's what you just kind of said. It's in the 50s in terms of uh, – uh, markets in the country um you know I, I do think it would lose some fans that are coming from up north so but but could they fill a soccer stadium yeah i i think they could i think the team is already in the suburbs 
and, you know, I don't know, the, the Rhode Island is losing the Paw Sox, so maybe they do make a, a, a sweetheart deal pitch to the Crafts about bringing the Revs to Rhode Island. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Do I think it's an ideal situation? No. But I'm not as anti-Rhode Island as you are. I, I do understand why there's so many sentiments of it, but I also do understand the argument of people from Rhode Island who do think that would it would be a decent fit in Providence. Um, but with that being said, I would need to see where the stadium is going to be. I don't know where, you know, there, there's a lot of other questions uh, revolving around the Providence revolution that really are unanswered. And I, I think that it, you know, they're making decent progress. I shouldn't say that they're not making decent progress in Boston, but, but uh, there seems to be a lot of hype around a stadium in Boston. And I think crafts have kind of tipped their hands that that's where they want to be. So if they don't end up in Boston, I think it's a major failure. I don't, I don't think it's really helping their cause at all moving from Foxborough to Providence. Yeah, no, I, I get why some people would think there's some positives there, but it's just as a long-term move. And when you look at what the league, where the league is going, um, the teams that are successful are the teams that are downtown and big cities, Seattle, Atlanta, Portland, you know, those are the teams that are finding a way to have a fat, passionate fan base to sell out, you know, regularly um, and, and really, you know, display the league at its best. I don't, think Providence is going to ever be the same as, you know, as a Boston or one of those, you know, bigger markets and Portland's not even a big market, but compared to Providence, it is. So that's just, that's just the way I, I see it um, with that. And I don't think there's any way that the league would, would allow that to happen. Um, but on that note, tomorrow is the expansion draft. Um, so I wanted to jump into that quickly. We were discussing the rules a bit uh, before we did the podcast. And, and one of them that's interesting this time is, um, and there's always limitations on how many international players you can uh, leave unprotected, but it seems like they're a bit more flexible this time and um, that clubs can make available a number of international players equal to their total number of internationals minus three, um, with the exemption that if you have three or fewer, you may not make more than one international player available. So the Revolution have five international players, so they can technically make three of their internationals available um, going into the expansion draft. So there's a lot of flexibility for the Revs there. Um, in total, you can protect 11 players. Homegrowns that are on the supplemental roster um, are automatically protected. So I believe that actually still includes Scott Caldwell, Zach Haravu, Isaac Anking, and, of course, Firmino, the new guy that they just signed, um, but does not include Fagundes. Um, but I don't, I don't know about you, Greg, but I look at you know who the Revolution have left after you cut out those guys, and then you look through the internationals, and um, it seems like it's not too hard of a decision for the Revolution to make who to protect here, or at least um, who to protect that actually has a chance of getting taken, um, because I don't think there's too many guys in the Revolution roster that are going to be particularly appealing to FC Cincinnati, who only get to select five players. Yeah, I I agree, and you know we said we had, we had a, a discussion like this a couple of years back with the last expansion draft, um, and I think we went through the entire roster and we we listed off people who we thought might be at risk. It was Yumi and Brian. And none of us mentioned Femi. <laughs> and of course, Femi was the one player from the revolution taken. So, you know, I guess we could be surprised, but you're absolutely right. I'm looking at this roster. You mentioned the players who uh, who are protected as homegrown players. Uh, my 11 here, I'm just going to run through because we went through the players that we wanted to protect on the, the revolution roster. I have Anibaba, Bunbury, Bai, Caicedo, Fagundes, Farrell, Mancien, Pania, Rowe, Turner, uh, and Agadello. That's 11 players. And we're really just protecting Ag- Agadello because we don't want to lose his rights for, for nothing. Um, that leaves Cody Cropper, Antonio De La Mea, Brad Knighton, Gabriel Somi, Brian Wright, and Wilfred Zahibo unprotected. Maybe you lose Zahibo. He was an all-star last season, but he's got a high salary number. Maybe you lose Brian Wright, who has shown some flashes of potential, but I really I, I don't think so. I think he's kind of proven he's he will probably be a backup at best. Maybe Somi. Maybe someone like you know thinks Somi will have a rebound yeah, year, keep, but that would dreaming. be amazing. <laughs> That would be great. We would love that. Um, maybe uh, Cody Cropper and De La Mea. De La Mea has, has been a starter. Cody Cropper was in the U.S. youth team. Brad Knighton is a reliable backup. I guess you could make an argument that maybe someone, you know, Cincinnati sees some value in some of these players somewhere, maybe as a backup. But I don't think any of these players are really going to be turning a lot of heads. Um, we also do know that when these expansion drafts happen, a lot of players move. Uh, a lot of players are drafted, and then they're spun away for allocation money. So it might be possible that uh, you know Cody Cropper is taken and then traded to a team that needs a keeper. Uh, you know, or, or same thing with Brad Knighton. 
Um, so who knows? The, the one thing I will say is that, uh, you know, of my list here, I, I think Annie Baba might, could be swapped for De La Maya pretty easily. And I think Annie Baba is at a very low salary number that I think some, you know, and, he, and he's a journeyman. So I could see Cincinnati taking Annie Baba if they leave him exposed. Well, and, and worth noting that Annie Baba went through the reentry draft last year and nobody took him. And then the Revolution Correct. managed to get him as a free agent after that. Um, the one thought here, and the one that huge curveball is Aguadelo. Um, I actually don't have him on my list. I have De La Maya instead. And and that's because if the Revolution don't make him uh, a bona fide offer, um, he can go into the reentry draft. So they might lose him that way anyways. And I don't know. You know, Last we heard, the Revolution had not made him a bona fide offer. That was back earlier in November. Um, actually, so I don't know actually changed. I can I – can, uh, on the Far Post podcast last week, uh, Agud- it was they did not confirm if Agudelo had – a bona fide offer yet they said it's still unknown so as of last week we don't know so if, if you're not which, making... which would I, in my mind though that means that they're not going to correct i mean yeah, I, yeah what, what are you waiting think? for and if you're if you're not going to make him a bona fide offer then you leave him unprotected here because there's no point because um, then you lose him in the reentry draft anyway so i i don't that's kind of the, the curveball here um, with with Juan Aguadelo. Um of course, the talk is that he goes to Europe, but you know the Revolution don't even get to keep his rights if he goes to Europe. So they don't make him a bona fide offer first. So, um, you know, again, we don't know the inner workings of the Revolution. Maybe they're waiting to the last possible minute before the reentry draft to make him a bona fide offer for for some reason. Um, but I, I kind of guess that they're not. Um, you know, as we talked about, he made six hundred and two thousand five hundred dollars last year. Um, so a bona fide offer would be matching that. Um, and I think both of us agreed in the last the last time we recorded that it wouldn't make sense for the revolution to bring him back at that money. Um, so that's that's the the tricky the one tricky curveball here. Um, you know I agree if they leave Annie Baba off, it's, you know it's not the end of the world. I don't know that someone would take him. Maybe maybe they would. Maybe someone would take Knighton. You know without seeing what every other team is doing, it's impossible to say for sure. Um, I just have trouble seeing too many guys after the revolution protect eleven players and plus those homegrown guys uh, that any team would you know would put much would, would would want enough to pick over you know five other guys that are going to be available in this draft you know even without knowing who those other guys are going to be um so that'll be something that's interesting to watch both who the revolution protect and and who gets taken um from other teams or if, if somehow the, someone from the revs get taken but you know it's a great point about femi i don't think any of us thought he was going to be taken so there's always you know some player that another team could could value more than the revs do in, in some way or have seen something or there's some connection um and that could happen but um you know my my certainly my strong feeling is that that's not going to happen this year no i i agree and and i listed off the names as i say i i I think at best these are backups um maybe if brandon by is left open he is taken i i think he'd have a high chance of being taken being a first round pick last year uh, and and getting some minutes but i'm I'm looking at the list and i don't see how the revolution would leave brandon by unprotected um i'm kind of thinking outside the box i mean all these players were had their co- uh, options extended. So there really is no reason uh, outside of Gabriel Somi, uh, uh, you know, so like Teal Bunbury, it wouldn't make sense to leave him off the protected list. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I, I can't see anyone being taken, but as you say, we don't know the unprotected list of the other teams yet. We won't know this until um, Tuesday or maybe Monday, maybe tomorrow. I'm not so sure, sure, but I know that the expansion draft is Tuesday. So we'll have a better picture of, of who is exposed uh, and who might be taken. But, you know, I, I look at these players. I don't think any of these guys are being taken. I, if, if I had to gamble on it, maybe a Cody Cropper or a Brad Knighton um, just as a kind of a backup keeper type scenario. But overall, I, I don't think the Revolution have a lot of risk here. Yeah, and, and there are some better keepers available even, you know, if you look at the rancher draft, like guys like Clint Irwin. Um, I don't think he's been re-signed yet. He's, you know, I believe, available in the rancher draft, and I take him over, you know, Brad Knight and um, you know, Cody Cropper. Obviously, younger, so maybe there's some some factors there. But you know, the only thing here is Brad Friedel has certainly surprised us at times this year with his decisions. So maybe it'll be another surprise going going into this one. Um, but as it's, as we as it stands, I I don't think there's too much risk of anyone being taken. Um, with that, did you want to talk about the super draft quickly or jump right into Twitter questions? I know the revolution do have two, uh, first round picks this year, but both, you know, nine and 11, um, you know, even as those are seemingly high picks in recent years, it hasn't produced too much. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know how excited, how excited do you think people should be that the revolution have two first round picks given their number nine, and number 11? Well, it's similar to last year where they had, I think eight and nine went branded by and Mark Segbers and, um, you know, they got one starter out of it, really, 
you know, I, I think that's kind of the return you can expect for, for drafting in this area. Um, you know, I, we might do a podcast before this, uh, the super draft. That's kind of why I wanted to throw it here, but really overall, and I know you and I have talked about this, Sean, the, the value of first round picks have dropped dramatically in recent years. And, and we'll kind of go a little bit more into the super draft in a minute with our first Twitter question. But, um, I, I think you hear two first round picks, and they're at nine and eleven. I think you know, compared to other leagues and other drafts, you you expect a starter or you expect kind of you know a valuable player. These are lottery picks. You know, I, I, if if one of these players is on the Revolution two years from now, uh, I, I think that's a productive draft overall. So um, yeah, I, I overall I'm not too excited about the Super Draft. I I don't know if we'll do a preview before the Super Draft. I don't think we will because I don't. I'm not going to pretend I know a whole lot about the players in the super draft, uh, uh, coming out of there next year, but, uh, hopefully they kind of fill a need at left back and they get someone at depth at, at, at fullback. But, you know, in the past, the revolution have kind of, they haven't drafted based on need. They've drafted on players that they kind of liked or, or kind of saw some potential in, and it's really fizzled out. And in recent years, you can kind of see that there really has not been a lot of uh, productivity from their first round draft picks. So, uh, I'm not, not too, too excited overall. Yeah, no, and, you know, the reason that it's fizzled out is because the the homegrown players in the academy system has really taken over, and the college system has become for players that slip through the cracks, and, yeah, there are some good players that slip through the cracks. There's some, you know, European players that come over and play here that obviously wouldn't have gone through an academy, um, but the academy system has sucked up a lot of the young talent that otherwise would have gone to college and, and been in the drafts, and I think that's a good thing, uh, but it's also why, you know, if you get one good player out of your ninth and 11th picks in the, in the first round, um, you probably did pretty well. This isn't like you know, what we saw from the revolution in the early 2000s when they kept hitting home run after home run with guys like Shari Joseph, Clint Dempsey, Taylor Twelman, Pat Noonan. Um, you're not going to get guys like that anymore in the super draft unless maybe you have the first round pick and there was, you know, somebody that somehow slipped through. Um, and, and on that note, I know, I don't think we had it on our list of things to discuss, but I did want to briefly mention, you know, Justin Rennix, um, the Revolution Academy player, uh, who the Revolution have said they are going to meet with this month. And of course, if, if you can, uh, remember the history there, um, he's allegedly now being, according to Taylor Twalman, he's being monitored by Frankfurt and, and Celtic overseas. But if you remember the history there, he was a guy that the Revolution had suspended from uh, playing for the team because he went on a, on a training session over in Germany without their permission. Uh, and, you know, obviously relations were, were hurt by that. Uh, but, you know, what I've heard from through the grapevine, and I, I know from what other people have heard, is that he does actually still want to sign with the Revolution. I think Twalman um, mentioned that as well, but I'd heard that from other sources. Uh, so it's good to hear that the Revolution are going to meet with him because, to me, that's the type of player that the Revolution need to, to make sure to sign. Um, you know, they're academy players that are getting minutes with the, the youth national teams. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see what happens there because he's a guy that I think could have a potential for the revolution and, and is more exciting than probably what they're going to get in the ninth or, or 11th picks of the, of the first round of the super draft this year. Young talent is the most valuable asset you can get in the MLS. Don't screw this up revolution. <laughs> <laughs> do not, do not screw this up. Uh, Sean, I, I was debating this, uh, before, before young forward about talent too. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you were to consider him, you know, since he's in the revolution system, where does he rank among like top assets of, that the revolution have? Like, like, you know, one is probably Pania, two is Caicedo, three Fagundes. I mean, in, in terms of value, I mean, he probably outranks an Isaac Anking at this point or and a Nicholas Firmino just because of what he's accomplished with the, uh, the U S youth teams and the kind of the hype he's building in college. I mean, and, and the attention he's getting from Europe. Exactly. I mean, he, you could make a case he's a top three asset for the revolution in the, in the revolution system right now. No, I, I think that's perfectly fair. Um, I, I think, you know, Anking has a lot of potential. I wouldn't write him off yet. He could very well end up being better than Renix. Um, I, I think Renix has a lot more to show than Firmino. I, I'm excited by the Firmino signing. Don't get me wrong. But Renix has, has proven a lot more. Um, obviously a bit older at 19, uh, but I agree with you that, you know, he, there's the potential that he could be top three or at least top five uh, assets in the revolution system. There aren't many guys in the revs right now that I think, you know, teams in Germany and even, you know, Celtic are, are, are interested in and are looking at. And so to have a 19 year old that's gotten so many minutes with the, the U S youth national teams and has been so successful there, uh, that's a huge asset to have. And it would be horrible if the revolution, you know, blew that. I think there was a lot of thought that they already blew it when they, you know, kind of suspended him for, 
uh, going overseas and training without their permission. But it seems like he still wants to come back here. You know, Twaman said it. I've heard it elsewhere. Um, so if they can make that happen, that would be a, a huge win for the team. You know, you look at the Revolution Academy. They haven't produced as many players as some other academies in the league. Certainly not as much as like a Dallas. Um, so to lose a guy like like Renex would be a, a huge blow for the Revolution, uh, who's in, who invested a lot into their academy, but you know maybe haven't had the results you'd hope for, with the exception of Fagundes, with the exception of Caldwell. You know, nobody else has really stepped up and, and had a major impact on this team. Now, out of, out of curiosity, Sean, I, I know we're, we're in agreement that Revolution cannot screw this up. Uh, but let's make a hypothetical where Europe comes calling and makes a huge bid on a, a transfer fee. And, and just thinking about what Columbus just got for Zach Steffen, I mean, if you're the Revolution, are you taking any of these phone calls and, and listening you know, to get a massive transfer fee, thinking that you can you can take a transfer fee and then turn it into a DP, maybe a big signing, or or, or are you riding it out with Renix? I mean, you got to sign him first before you even worry about that. But I think you know, you look at what they got for Stefan, and if if you get a you know an offer like that for Renix, um, which I don't think would come instantaneously if the Revolution were to sign him, but if you know he proves to be the player that you know he could be with his potential. Um, and you get that kind of offer, then yeah, the Revolution could do a lot with that money. Um, with that said, having seen you know, the Revolution's ability to bring in you know, foreign internationals, with you know, some exceptions of Pania and uh, Caicedo, obviously, um, you know, do I have the, the faith the Revolution could use that money to actually make the team better? No. Um, but this, the league and, and it historically has struggled to sell some of their top players. We've seen it with Taylor Schwan, with Charlie Joseph. The Revolution, you know, had opportunities to sell those guys and didn't let them go. Um, and I think that's actually, you know, soured the team's reputation a bit with some guys. Um, so if Renix gets an offer, if the Revolution, you know, were to sign him, then he was get, to get an offer from one of these other teams that he really wanted to take. I think the Revolution would have to think long and hard about what kind of uh, message that would send um, to, to not let him go. Uh you know, if that opportunity came, but we're we're a long way off from from that hypothetical happening. Um, for now, I think the revolution has to do everything in their power to, to to sign him and lock him up for for the future. Because, like like we were saying, um, there's there's not many guys in the revolution's academy that have this sort of pedigree um, and are available for the team. No, I agree with everything you just said. I I, I think he's got a lot of potential, and I as, as I say, I mean, if you can bring in a young player through your academy, <laughs> I mean. He he. If he reaches his full potential, he's a guy that can take you from you know a borderline playoff team to solidly in the playoffs. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I, I, he could be a star that this team is built around. So I, I don't know. I'm very excited. I the Revolution better not screw it up. American attacking talent is is harder to find than it should be. Yep. So uh, to have a guy like Renix in your system is huge, and to lose out on him would be devastating. Um, he's been the Revolution Academy Player of the Year three times. Uh, 38 goals for the academy. You know, just been a phenomenal player all around for both the, the U.S. U20s and for the Revolution and other you know U.S. youth teams. Um, but on that note, I think we got a lot of Twitter questions for this one, so maybe we should jump into those so we don't go too long uh, on this off-season podcast. Greg, you want to take us through some of the Twitter questions we got? Yeah, and our first question actually comes from James Downing. He actually asked us before we asked for Twitter questions, um, but. Uh, he, he was he wanted to get our uh, opinions on Andrew Wegner, a uh, former Dynamo midfielder who just announced his retirement. Uh, and he notes that, uh, you know, he followed him closely based on the Revs draft position uh, back in I think it was 2011 when uh, Wegner was drafted number 2012 when he was drafted number one overall. And Kellen Rowe was drafted third that year. Uh, so uh, any any thoughts on his career, Sean? And, and I, I think, too, we'll kind of take a look back on that draft and kind of compare it to Roe. Uh, and any any thoughts or, or memories on that uh, topic? Well, well, first of all, it's kind of a shocking trend this offseason where we're seeing a lot of young guys that aren't necessarily stars but are you know regular contributors in MLS uh, retiring in their you know early or mid-20s. Uh, Wagner is, I believe, only 27 so to see him retire, and, and again, I think it's fair to say he didn't live up to his potential. He was the, the number one pick in 2012. Uh, that was sort of the start of the, the diminution of, of super draft value um, after that. But there was a lot of hype going into Andrew Wagner. He finished his career with 181 games, 115 starts. 
23 goals and 15 assists. Not a bad career at all, but I don't think he ever lived up to the hype. With that said, um, he was getting more regular minutes the, the past few years than he had been early on in his career. He started 20 of 22 games. He played this year for the Houston Dynamo. Um, it was one of his top four seasons in minutes played. He was, you know, one of the, again, another creative, um, attacking minded player, which as I said, there, there aren't a lot of many of those in, in, uh, Americans right now. Um, and he was having some success on, for Houston on the wing. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, again, I think he's a guy that didn't leave up to his potential, but at 27, I'm surprised to see yet, yet another young guy, um, who I think had a lot more to offer the league and could have played several more years retiring. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said, too. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting, too, about it just kind of shows we, we kind of talked about the Super Draft earlier. It's a total crapshoot. Um, you look at the number one draft picks. <laughs> if you go to the MLS Super Draft Wikipedia page and you look at the number one draft picks, I don't know if I would say a single one of them lived up to the hype. Maybe Kyle Aaron and Andre Blake. OK, I'll, I'll give you those. But I mean, there this is not a solid list at any level. Um, so uh, the, the fact that the, the revolution came out of that draft with Kellen Rowe, I think is a major win for them, uh, kind of in comparison, Kellen Rowe with 29 goals and 40 assists has pretty much, uh, topped, uh, Wenger, Wenger's, uh, career stats overall already. And, and Rowe is still going to keep going. And he's, he was in the national team discussion, uh, about a year ago. Um, so overall, I think in the context of the 2012 draft, I think, uh, Rowe turned out to be pretty solid value for the Revs sitting at three. Um, in terms of Wenger, uh, I, I noticed he only had one appearance in the playoffs. Really, really solid player for teams that never really made the playoffs, uh, didn't go very far. Uh, but you're, you're right. He could have kept going for another three to four years. He was still contributing really, really good minutes. Um, even if he wasn't a 30-game starter, I mean, he, he could be contributing playoff minutes for any of the teams that made the playoffs this year. So um, kind of surprising that he he – <laughs> retired as you said at the age of 27 and you're right uh, we've seen some other um retirements in recent year not just not just this year too uh, i think in years past um we, we we've seen some top five top 10 draft picks that have called it quits very easy when they realized they weren't uh getting a lot of minutes and uh i don't know i i think that's something that u.s soccer is going to have to address that you know there's a lot of young talent that are coming up and, and getting the mls uh, they're blocked by someone, and then their career prospects kind of go downhill from there. Uh, some some players go to the USL and kind of revive their careers, but a lot don't, and, and they just end up going into retirement. So um, a little discouraging overall, but what can you do? Well, we, we've certainly seen the uh, the insanity going on in Chicago with all the players leaving that team and, and retiring there, um, including some young guys in that situation where maybe if you know there was more mobility to leave to another team, they'd still be playing. Um, I don't know if that's the case with with Wagner. I don't think Houston is the same situation as Chicago, at least as far as I'm aware. Um, but that's you know certainly an interesting trend that that as you said, the league needs to monitor and figure out what to do about it um, because you know even 20 game starters that are American and are you know maybe hit 100,000 or something are, are are guys that the league needs to to survive long term. Those depth pieces, um, so they got to find a way to keep those guys from retiring when they're 26, 27, uh, when they still have a lot to offer. Um, the, the more Americans of that of that kind that like, disappear, the harder it is for the for MLS teams to build a roster, especially to be competitive with things like Champions League when when those guys aren't available. Um, what else we got? Um, uh, and also, uh, just one more note, just while I'm I'm trashing uh, number one overall picks. Uh, I just saw this as you were talking, but it looks like the number one draft pick from last year was traded today during the uh, uh, half-day window. Uh, Howo, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Howo Mortino <laughs> of yeah. LAFC has been traded to Orlando. So, I mean, one year after being the number one draft pick and he's already being shipped out. I mean, I don't know, kind of kind of shocking you know, to see these players move as much as they do. Hey, um, Got to give some credit to uh, Jack Harrison, who's on the books at Man City now, though. That is true. Was he number one overall? He was number one overall, yeah. Okay, well... Okay, one, one success story. <laughs> well... Sort of. Okay. Uh, that, that, that kills my, uh, my, my theory overall. He probably actually is probably the most successful... Um, well, Recently. Anyway. Recently, yeah. Uh, next question we get from AJ. Uh, who should the Revs target in re-entry slash waiver drafts? Um, I've tried looking into some names uh and and going across the board uh, looking across the league for uh some players that the revolution are looking at i i was looking specifically for left backs um and i just want to also say i don't think we've talked about this sean the mls website sucks 
they don't update their transactions at all. It is very annoying. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time looking around for some players that are available, and the re-entry draft list is not going to be released until after we record this podcast, which is very annoying. Um, I do know Breck Shea is out there, but I know he comes at a high salary number. Um, and, and in the past, too, I don't think the Revolution have really gained many players from the re-entry draft. I know a lot of times they pass. So um, I'm not sure if the Revolution will come out of here with anyone, but um, w- what are your thoughts? Do you have any names in mind? Or Yeah, I mean, like you, I, I'm looking at fullbacks. I see a guy like Sheehan Williams who has Boston roots. I don't know if that's someone the Revolution would be interested in. He's obviously a, a very physical defender, to put it nicely. Um, but, you know, he'd provide some fullback depth to this team. Uh, there were a few other fullbacks that I remember when I was looking through the, the list that were released that I wish I had written down um, that were interesting. Uh, for sure. Uh, Ray Gaddis from the Philadelphia Union was one of them. That's a, a versatile guy that can play on the left or the right. Uh, made $182,000 last year. I think he'd be you know, worthwhile. He's a, been a regular starter throughout his career. Uh, a defensive-minded fullback, so not someone that's going to get forward and, and contribute uh, with good crosses or anything like that. But certainly, again, a depth piece, which the Revolution desperately need at fullback. Um, but you know, like you were saying, the Revolution haven't really made a splash in the reentry draft. Usually it's hard to make a splash in the reentry draft because the guys that are in there are there for a reason. They're either wildly overpaid or they're just not any good. Um, so, you know, I think that some of these guys could be options for the Revolution in stage two of the reentry draft if they're available. Uh, but this isn't going to be a way the Revolution seriously improve their roster. It's a way where they might be able to add some depth pieces. Um, and with that, I do think there are some fullback depth pieces that could potentially help the team. Uh, but other than that, and again, without having the, the list in front of me, those were just two names that had jumped out to me before with Sheena Williams and, and, and Ray Gratis. Breck Shea, um, obviously, you know, was a fantastic player at one point in his career, a guy with a lot of potential, um, hasn't lived up to the hype at all recently, getting older and has now, I think, made over $700,000 last year. Um, you know, he's interesting because of his name and because of, you know, what he did for the national team at one point and the hype surrounding him. But, you know, he hasn't been that player for several years now. And I, at anywhere near his salary, I wouldn't take a risk on him. No, I agree with everything you said. And, and yeah, if, if he's if he's taken in the re-entry draft, they have to take him at his salary figure, correct? Yeah, in stage one yeah. they do, and then in stage two they can negotiate, negotiate but I think down. But I think there's actually still a limit in how much they can negotiate down on, in that stage as well, if I recall correctly. I'd have to look it up. But certainly in stage one it has to be the, the same salary. So um, that's why there's usually very little activity in stage one, and then guys get taken in stage two. Well, not to disagree with you, Sean, but if there's one thing the Revolution love doing, it's overpaying for left backs. So I think Breck Shea is a perfect <laughs> fit for the Revolution. Good, good point. Good point. Uh, we got a question from uh, at Dendun29DC. Uh, do you see the Revs trading one of their three goalkeepers to Columbus with Stefan leaving? Uh, could find some interesting parts. Uh, Pedro Santos would be a perfect Friedel addition. Uh, even dip the toe on Jonathan Mensa. Uh, could this happen? Um, interesting kind of two, two different parts here. I, I actually, the two players he mentioned, it should be noticed that Columbus is kind of selling off parts right now with Burhalter leaving. Um, they, they kind of in, are in kind of like a weird transition period. So, uh, I, I don't, I, I do think the revolution could trade and they've made trades with Columbus in the past. Kai Kamara, probably the biggest, uh, trade they've made with Columbus, uh, as a trading partner. So I, I do think that there are some names that the revolution could pick off from the Columbus crew. Um, do I think any of the three goalkeepers are going to Columbus? We kind of mentioned Clint Ir- Irwin is a, I believe he's a free agent. I believe he can sign anywhere. I, I don't think his option was declined. I think uh, he, he is a free agent, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I think, I think um, that's probably right, with given his so, age and his experience in the league. Yeah, I, 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 I'm I'm pretty confident in that, which means that I'm probably wrong. Uh, but um, goalkeepers, I, I I don't know how much value the Revolution can get from any of their three keepers. I don't know. I, I feel like if they were to trade to Columbus, Columbus would want a starter. And I feel like that would mean that they would have to trade Matt Turner, God forbid. Um, so I, I don't see Columbus filling uh, their their starting goalkeeper role with um, one of the three revolution keepers. Maybe, as I say, I, I think a team would take a shot at Cody Cropper as a backup. Um, but I'm not totally sold that this is a scenario where – Cropper or or Knighton for that matter um, goes to Columbus, so I, I don't think I don't think that's going to be a fit. I, I think Matt Turner is going to be the starting goalkeeper for the Revolution going forward, um, and I, I think he's by far the one with the most trade value that a team like Columbus would uh, want to get back. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't know that either. You know, Brad Knighton or Cody Cropper. And the the trick with Cody Cropper is you don't know if there's another coach out there that you know, values Cody Cropper based on. What his potential was a few years ago, and still thinks he has something out there. My guess is no, but you never know. There's a potential that there could be some somebody out there that you know 
saw him playing over England and saw him have some national team potential and can forget the last year and think he still has that and maybe will offer a little bit more than you'd expect for him. Uh, but I, I don't think either of those two guys are going to fetch much of a return um, from Columbus. The other question there is how much do they value you know, John Kempkin? Maybe they think he's a guy that can step in and, and fill Stefan's shoes. He played five games from last year and um, obviously has some youth national team experience. Um, I do think Clint Irwin, as we discussed, is a better option than Cody Cropper or Brad Knighton for a team like the Columbus crew. Um, so you know, if Clint Irwin is available and they can get him to sign there, then I don't think they make a trade of, of one of their assets. Uh, but yeah, the, the crew are a team that I think there's a lot of opportunity to trade with. They're a team in transition. They're changing coaches. Um, you know, it's an opportunity for the Revolution to, to maybe make a move for for a guy like Mensa. I don't know, um, you know, how much they're w- willing to sell various guys like him. Uh, but at the same time, I do think the Revolution have have put so much into their center backs with Delamay and Mancien that they may not be willing to go out there and sign another high priced center back at this point. All very good points, and and I, I do think too that I, I kind of separated those two questions out because I think the the Revolution could bring in a big name player, but I don't think the the return on a goalkeeper would be very high. Uh, I, I think at this point, I, I I'm kind of skeptical that the Revolution are going to trade away any of their goalkeepers because I think they have a lot of faith in Turner. Uh, I think Brad Knighton is a solid backup goalkeeper, and Cody Cropper's salary figure is really not that high. I mean, as a number three keeper, he doesn't make a lot of money, and, and so he's got a he's got some playing time in England. He's got some playing time at the youth ranks, uh, and he's got a full season of uh, MLS experience under his belt. Even though I, I think Sean, we 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 don't have any positive reviews over that season. Um, you know, as a, as a number three keeper, I don't think that's a horrible number three option overall. No, no, his salary justifies him being a number three keeper. So unless somebody sees some you know, value in him, and I, I, I'm just not sure anyone right. would at this point. Uh, right, and I don't think the Revs are, are – yeah, the Revs aren't, aren't going to be out there looking to move a keeper. I think someone's got to call the revolution and say, you know, say, hey, I'll give you a second-round pick for Cody Cropper or something like that. And even though that doesn't sound like a whole lot, you know, I, I think the Revs would, would jump if there, if there is a market for him. But uh, but are the revs looking for that market? I, I don't think that's on their priority list. Fair to say? No. I, I mean, if if somebody comes calling for him, then yes. But if they were that desperate to move him, I'm not even sure they resign him. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Mike Kennedy asks us: Will adding another full time scout in South America matter? Uh, Sean, I know you have a rant brewing. I'm just going to add this really quick. I do think it's great they're adding to their scouting department. I think that if they're going to find talent internationally, I think they have a better chance of finding. Um, kind of value in south america uh usually players that come over from europe are going to come at a higher salary figure so uh i i think finding young players from south america and central america is the way to go to build a team uh and, and so i mean this is a positive development uh from 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 the basic fact that there is now another scout in south america sean i will turn it over to you Tell me what the negatives of this so, are. So I agree with everything you just said. Anytime the revolution can add a more more scouting presence, that's a good thing. I, I just have to question the revolution going out and signing their assistant coach's brother to be their new scout. Uh, you know, is he the best option you could have gotten, or is there a little bit of nepotism going on there? I don't know. Um, but you know, you look at his at his brother, who's the assistant coach, Marcelo Nevlev. Um, you know, we know he's responsible for two revolution signings based on what was publicly said. Uh, Caicedo a fantastic signing, and Machado, a disastrous signing. I mean, not disastrous because they were able to get rid of him pretty quickly, but a complete waste of space. Um, so, you know, if that's the, the judgment of his brother, and good job with Casado, but if he thought Machado was going to fit in MLS and it was quite apparent from day one that he wouldn't, um, I hope his brother's a bit better than he is at scouting talent. Um, this is unrelated to the revolution, but it, it reminds me of the story of, do you remember when the Detroit Lions went 0-16 that one season? And it turned out, I think the head coach was Rod Marinelli or something like that. And his defensive coordinator was his son-in-law. And there was a reporter that asked him uh, if it, if they wish his daughter married a better defensive coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever I hear stories like this, I always go back to that question of, <laughs> of, of, of yeah, as you say, potential nepotism and, and how it might shoot him in the foot. I mean, to, to be fair, don't the Patriots have uh, lots of Belichicks scattered throughout there their, are. their organization? So it's not just there the are. refs. <laughs> yeah. And but I mean, unless those uh, unless the unless Belichick's sons are uh, teaching uh, the prevent defense, uh, you know, I think those <laughs> hires have been pretty justified so far. Um, Fair point. Too soon. Sorry. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, we actually we, we didn't include this on our list of topics, Sean. But we we should have. I, I totally forgot to add this. Um, 
but while we're talking uh, about the front office, um, how much of a big deal do you take it that the fitness coach, um, I, his name is slipping my mind right now because I didn't write it down. Uh, but after one season, he's going back to Europe for personal reasons. Um, I know at the beginning of the season that they made a big deal about uh, uh, kind of upping the fitness levels and whatnot. Um, do you think this is as big of a deal as some people are making it out to be? Or do you think it's much ado about nothing? So, like you said, the team made a huge deal out of this when they first signed him. He was the, I believe, he was a fitness coach at, at Spurs over in England before he came over here. Um, and you know, one thing that we talked about this year uh, is that the Revolution were relatively injury free. There were, you know, there was Tierney's injury, and then there were a few scattering throughout the season. But compared to what we saw under Heaps in, in the past few years, um, in which the Revolution had a lot of injuries, if you were to blame. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of blame you could put in past seasons over, oh, they're missing this guy, they're missing that guy, there were so many injuries. This year, that wasn't the case at all. They were very healthy. Um, fitness was certainly there, and Brad Friedel's system emphasizes fitness. So to be running these guys as much as, as Brad Friedel wants and to have those many guys, you know, to have that few injuries that they had this year, um, you know, it's just one season, so it's hard to say it was all on the fitness coach. But I do think this is kind of a big deal that they lost him because so much emphasis was put on what he was going to bring to the team at the start of the season. And it was pretty clear that the team stayed healthy this year and was very fit um, for all of their faults. Uh, so, yeah, I do think this could be a big deal and this could hurt the revolution if Brad Friedel wants to keep using the pressing system that he did to, to lose the fitness coach that was seemed to be so good at preparing the guys for it. And, yeah, I... I everything you just said so I don't, i'm not gonna uh, go into a, a rant about uh repeating it uh moving on to uh some questions from zach grimes he's got a couple questions uh regarding attire uh do we pick up any sweet gear uh any revs gear from the mls shop on black friday uh i didn't pick up any uh gear from uh, <laughs> uh I, I actually don't buy any sports jerseys whatsoever i don't know if i've ever told you the story sean uh when i was 12 years old uh i bought a shea hillenbrand uh like t-shirt and Shea Hillenbrand was traded a week later, and I just vowed never to buy any jerseys or anything like that ever again. So I, I typically stay away from jerseys overall, uh, or or I guess I should say uh, team attire. Sean, you buy anything on Black Friday, uh, Revolution-related? No. So I historically, I've used Black Friday to buy some international jerseys, but this year I did not buy anything. I, a few years ago, I got a Harry Kane jersey, and I've gotten some other ones in the past on Black Friday, but, but nothing this year and, and nothing MLS or Revs. Actually, by the way, I, I don't know if you cut this. I think last weekend was Arsenal Tottenham. Who do you know who won that game? Oh, I must have missed that one. <laughs> oh, okay. I I don't know who won. I don't know. I'm just curious. I figured you would have seen it. I mean, I I can say the standings look nice. <laughs> um, I, I think I stuck to second. that game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach Rams also wants to know: uh, Is it time to change the away kit or keep it? I think it's the year they ch- you typically change it. Correct, Sean. Yeah, so they every two years they switch the away kit, and every two years they switch the home kit on alternating years. And I believe this year is the away kit. Um, you know, we talked about this earlier. I, you know, don't. I, I know some people like the away kit. I don't think it was anything special. I never, you know, had great great feelings towards it. And of course, the Revolution were horrible in it their first year um, as a road team, and this year were slightly better, but still not a good team on the road. Uh, so I don't think I'll be upset in the, at the least to see the Revolution move on from that away kit. Three wins in two years on the road. I say burn the jerseys. I think you you throw them all in a pile at the center of Gillette Stadium and you light them on fire. I, I ready for a new jersey. I don't. I didn't like them at all. Anyway, I thought they were ugly uh, when they were announced. So I'm looking forward to a new jersey, uh, a, new, a new road kit for the Revolution. Um, Sean, last question comes from uh, Any Revs UK. Uh, this is going to be a fun question, and I'm going to let you answer this one first. Ready? Uh, this is a fill in the blank question. In 2019, the New England Revolution will finish blank. All right. So this year there were 11 teams in the East. Next year there's going to be 12. Uh, so there's more options. Um, <laughs> given that, I am not impressed with Chicago. I don't know what their long-term strategy is. I am not impressed with Orlando. And frankly, I haven't been that impressed with what we've heard from FC Cincinnati so far. They had some some high talk about going into the season with adding a couple of designated players, and they've since walked back on that and said they will not be adding any more designated players before the season starts or don't expect to, um, which to me is a bit disappointing given you know, what we've seen from some of the other expansion teams lately and the splashes they've made. So with that in mind, I'm going to put Orlando below the Revs, I'm going to put Chicago below the Revs, and I'm going to put Cincinnati below the Revs, which I believe in the new 12-team conference puts the Revolution in ninth place. So I'm going to go with ninth place in the East and not very close to the playoffs. What's interesting about this question, Sean, is that 
I mean, it's pretty open to interpretation. It doesn't necessarily mean it's standings related. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say that this time next year, in 2019, the New England Revolution will finish the year with a new general manager. I think the 2019 season is the last season for Mike Burns. Because, and and I'll give you my reason why. I think that this is a big offseason. I don't, there really has not been many big moves that have have seemed to be made. I really don't think they're going to make a huge splash this offseason. And with the uh, contract options list that we talked about uh, a little bit before, we kind of expected some widespread changes. There really weren't. I think they're relying a lot on this core. And I think if this core fails to make the playoffs again next season, I think it's pretty apparent that the issue is not the head coach. Uh, Not that he is not a problem, but it is apparent that the GM has failed year after year after year, and they are not bringing in uh, the talent they need to succeed. And I I think that it'll be the end of the road for Mike Burns. So that is my hot take, and that is my way to answer that question. That is a bold one. (laughs) I I I mean, he's got a long leash, and he's got a long leash. And you have to wonder how much longer he has. Because as I say, I I don't think they're going to – I don't think Brad Friedel, I know he's got one full season. I, I think he's going to get at least two years. I, and, and as I say, I, I, I don't know how much longer Mike, how many times do we need to see Mike Burns be complained about in the media or on Twitter or from other teams? You know, the revolution don't make any <laughs> trades domestically without MLS teams. I mean, they've handicapped themselves. They can't bring in proven MLS players. They have to go scout and then they're terrible at scouting. And and it's got to end eventually. And I think that this is the end of the road for Mike Burns if they miss the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs, which I I think they will. Well, I was not expect- I was not expecting this question to take that turn, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sean, let's see. Do we have anything else to discuss? Um, Half day trade window came in and went today. I guess the big move is that Max Urity uh, went to. Uh, the Montreal impact really is kind of a salary dump for $75,000 of allocation money. And actually the 10th overall pick, the uh, pick sandwiched in between the revolution. Um, do, do you think he, he obviously did not have a huge impact uh, uh, as, as much as he had in years past, but um, do you think that elevates Montreal to well above the revolution at this point? I, I think that's still a big net game for Montreal uh, uh, given the fact that they pretty much got him for free. Yeah, I mean, they needed help up top, and he hasn't been the highest-scoring player in the league, but eight goals and 11 assists isn't isn't awful. Um, even if he just ends up being more of a, a depth piece, I think that, that helps Montreal. Um, is it something that you know puts them over the top and, and gets them up into the upper echelon next season? No, but it's a positive move, so it, it's, it's, it's something. And it doesn't surprise me that the Revolution didn't make a, a trade in the half-day trade when it was obviously relatively quiet. Um, but, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's... it's 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 good. It's a good move for Montreal, and it also isn't shocking or incredibly disappointing that the Revolution didn't make a move today. Yeah, the Revolution typically don't make moves, and really, this half day window is for um, kind of adjusting uh, pre uh, expansion draft. Um, you know, some some teams are just kind of selling off pieces for late dra- round draft picks or, or small amounts of allocation money because. Um, they think they'll lose their players anyway. Or, or I know in the past, players have been traded. Um, really because of the international spots. I, I think there was one year we traded, was it uh, Jeffrey Castillon and someone else? It was two internationals to Colorado, who Colorado, I think, immediately released. Um, basically, so, and, and the Revolution gave them certain allocation money, so they met their international nice. roster spot. I don't know what the rule was at the yeah, time. but the expansion draft, yep. <laughs> uh, as, we talked, as we talked about, the Revolution didn't really have a lot of uh, difficult decisions to make for the expansion draft, so I, I didn't expect them to make any... Big splashes today um, really would have been taking a player instead of trading a player out. But no, no real shock that they didn't uh, make any moves during the half-day half, uh, half day trade window. Um, and then the only other thing to note is uh, there is a player tied to the revolution, um, the left back, Alfonso Espino uh, of Uruguay. Uh, he's been playing in the Uruguayan uh, first division. Um, I, I've kind of looked at some highlight films. Uh, he looks like a bit of a physical left back who can cross the ball uh you know, gets up in the attack, uh, seems to fit Friedel's system. Um, overall, I'm not going to be hailing this guy as the, you know, <laughs> solution to all of the revolution's uh, big problems, but uh, he, he certainly seems to uh, fit the system pretty well. So uh, if this is a person they bring in, I, I, I could see them going in with him being the starting left back, but I could also see him being kind of a backup uh, rotation type piece too. Um, I don't know if you've taken any uh, uh, second looks at 
Espino, I know this news came out a couple weeks ago, and, and I know I didn't put it on the agenda, so I'm, I'm catching you on your back foot here. So I, I, th- I think it's safe to say neither of us are regular watchers of the Uruguayan Premier League, so uh, <laughs> any, anything we're saying is, is based on highlights and stats, which is not always the, the best way to judge a guy. Um, but he does have a nice pedigree playing in Copa Libertadores and uh, a regular in the Uruguayan Premier League. Um, you know, my thought process here is, is he better than Gabriel Somi? And that's kind of a low bar. So I think he probably is. So, you know, I, I'm willing to, to see what he could offer the revolution. They need help at left back. Um, like we just said earlier, like you were discussing, I think South America is, is probably the better way to go than Europe generally in these instances, if you can, if you can scout well. And um, as we know, I don't, I don't think we touched on this. There, there have been a lot of pictures on Twitter of uh, revolution coaching staff and, and scouting staff attending um, games down in South America during this offseason. Season. So I think the Revolution are, are, are hitting that area hard. Um, and I, I forget, there was also a picture of, I believe it was a Uruguayan agent um, or, or some South American agent that was uh, coming into Gillette Stadium recently and took a picture of the, of the flag there. So there's uh, there's some hints that the Revolution will be or are in the process of trying to sign at least one other South American player. Maybe that's Alfonso Espino, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but they're undoubtedly doing a lot of scouting down there right now. So that's um, something something to, to keep an eye on as this goes forward. And, of course, we all know they need to left back. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I, another name, too, that I, I I know I'm extending this episode way beyond what we, we wanted it to be. But I, I think Kevin Alston's out of contract, too. He played in the, the USL last year. I think that might be an interesting name if the Revolution want to add him back as a reserve player. But I don't know. I, I, I saw that somewhere. I know, again, I know I'm going off script, but uh, no, might be I, might be an interesting person to bring in. I mean, he's he's still only 30, and there was there was an article about how good he did um, in the USL this past year. And, I, again, I don't see every USL game. I get, catch a couple a year. Um, you know, if you bring him in to be your starting left back next season, that's worrying. But if you, you know, consider taking him in a lower salary to be a, a rotation player and a guy that can offer you some minutes, I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, you know, we actually saw when he played left back for the Revolution towards these, at the end of his career here that he did a lot better than he did at right back. Um, so he is a guy that has some ability to, to play on either side. Um, and if you bring him in at a lower salary to be your veteran rotation guy back there, um, I don't have much of an issue with that. And I think I think that's all we had on the agenda today, unless I'm forgetting anything. Yeah, any shout-outs, Sean? I, I don't really have any. I just want to mention that the Steelers actually lost. Uh, th- that happened while we were playing, so my day's a little bit better. But uh, eh, I, I don't have any other shout-outs beyond that. I, I'm just excited to see uh, Michael Parkhurst win an MLS Cup. Um, for anyone that's listening to the podcast that may have listened to the show way back in the day when we were on the radio, Michael Parkhurst was the only player to ever make an appearance in studio on Revolution Recap, and generally the one of the nicer guys in the league, and always always a, a friendly fan of the show uh, back in the day when we were on the radio. So I'm excited to see him get a win in his fifth attempt at MLS Cup to finally get the win and to you know captain the team and get that nice assist on the on the opening goal there. Um, couldn't couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So congrats to him and to the other former Revolution players that that got their championship uh, this past weekend. But that's all I got for shout outs. But before we wrap things up, Greg, do you want to give out the the Twitter handles and social media where everyone can find us? Uh, yeah, we're at Revolution Recap. Uh, you can follow me at G Johnstone Twelve. You can also like our Facebook page. Uh, we're just Revolution Recap Facebook page. Um, uh, Sean, I'm really impressed you remembered the the Twitter handles. It's been so long, I forgot to remind you. <laughs> and you can follow me at Sean L Donahue. Um, I'm not sure yet when we'll be doing our next podcast. Um, we had talked about doing a media roundtable that might still be on the table um, as a potential option, um, but otherwise, I think it's probably going to be <laughs> when the Revolution have some more news that's worth covering. Um, which who knows when that'll be. <laughs> but thanks again to everyone for, for listening to us. And thanks again, Greg, for, for joining.